to Ephesians chapter 5, and hopefully uh, we have a lot of notes that are out there tonight. I don't, we've printed a few extra. Does anybody need notes for the series tonight? They were in your bulletin if you got a bulletin this morning. Anybody at all need notes? Just slip your hand up. We do have some extras um, right down here. That's it. Okay, right back here. Hopefully we'll have enough. Right back here, said Diane needs some. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, and we started last week with, with instructions included, and we said instructions for all. Now, the title tonight is Instructions for Couples, but I want you to know right up front that this passage of Scripture that we're covering and this lesson we're talking about tonight is for everybody as well. Um, you don't have to be in any type of a marital relationship to need these principles in your life. We're going to really be talking about, for an extended part of the night, um, about what God's love is and what it looks like in our lives, in our relationships, uh, whether it's marriage or uh, parent-child or whether it's grandparent-grandchild, a co-worker relationship, a neighborhood relationship. We're going to be covering all sorts of relationships, but we're taking it from a passage that normally um, is used when we talk to couples. And so that's why we say uh, instructions for couples. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. And even if you go down to the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, Amen. Um, verse number 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh. So the verse that we're starting with tonight is actually the starting point of submission. Every person on earth is under authority. Some just think they aren't. Everybody's under authority. Um, we're all under God's authority, no matter what position we hold. And, uh, and tonight I hope that you'll catch kind of a glimpse of what it means to be in submission. Um, Pastor Banuel in India, uh, his son is going to be married this next week, um, this f first few days of February. And in his part of India, they still do arranged marriages. And his son is 27 years old. And I think the girl that he's marrying is about 21. And they set it all up. And he actually has invited Cody to come back in a few years and told him he would arrange a girl for him as well in India. So um, that's, I don't know, Cody's been talking to everybody about going back. I don't know if that he caught on to that, he liked that, but 
Um, but Pastor Banwell um, was talking to me about how he found the right girl. And his primary focus was that she'd be a Christian. Now, she also had to be on the same level of the caste system, which is a, just a big, huge ordeal. And uh, the way that they do it, um, the families talk, and they still have dowries involved, and they have all sorts of things taking place. Um, and Pastor Banwell talked to his wife about it. And his wife didn't want this girl. Um, there was something about her dowry that she didn't like, and so she said she's not the one. And he said, I finally had to tell her, Pastor, this is the way it will be, and that's the end. I said, how'd that go for you? (laughs) And uh, he said, oh, Pastor. (laughs) You know, husbands can create that type of submission for their wives, and they will be the most miserable men on the face of the earth. Um, and so even in India, they struggle with those things. Um, and I tell you what, just him talking about doing the wedding and things made me physically ill, um, <laughs> thinking that I still have children. Um, he, just his family has invited between 3,000 to 5,000 people to the wedding. And that's not counting her family. And he said, also, Pastor, the wedding goes for three days. And so what that means is the three to 5,000 people will show up at his house to eat. I'm like, are you serious? They're going to show up at your house to eat? Oh, yes, they'll show up at our house to eat. What are you going to do? I mean, I know there's a lot of rice in India, but how are you going to feed them all? And so we talked all about that. And just the idea that they have of, of how to submit and how things are in order. And most of the young people that are still in their 20s are that submissive to their parents. And that's stepping out on faith, isn't it, kids? I mean, how many of you kids would be all keen on the idea of mom and dad choosing a wife or a husband for you? Yeah, just a couple. God bless them. They're faithful. Back, back there. Um, And so there's submission involved the whole way. And in our lives, there's a big thing that God wants us to submit to. And so as we get into this passage tonight, uh, I hope you'll see some things that will be a blessing to you as you submit in life, because we're all under authority. And let's pray. Father, bless us now tonight as we talk about what submission means and how it shows up in our lives and some of the practical areas that we can grow and that I can grow uh, as a person in relationships. I pray that you bless now tonight. We ask in your name, amen. Let's start in your notes, and uh, we're going to get into a few other passages as we go forward tonight. But let's focus in on submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's an instruction for all Christians, no matter what relationship you're in. If you're in a marital relationship, if you're in a Uh, parent-child relationship, if you are in an employment relationship, God has this verse for all of us. And so we start by saying this, Spirit-filled believers will give way to each other, letting love rule in their lives. Now, the natural man does not give way to anyone else. That's what submission is. Submission is giving way. 
That's what it really is. And in our natural man, the, the way that we are in our flesh, we do not like to give way. We do not like to give up ground. We do not like to yield. We want it to be our way. And if somebody crosses us, they cross the wrong dude, right? Or they cross the wrong lady. And you can be mean to that person, but you, you shouldn't cross me. And, and so we get these attitudes in our lives. And yet God says, I want you to give way. I want you to give way. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if the other person is wrong. I still want you to give way. Now, we're not talking about changing what we believe. We're not talking about giving way on the fundamentals of the faith. We're talking about giving way in relationships. Giving way in our dealings with other human beings on this earth. How many of you ever had, or, or you still have, a brother or sister? Brother or sister, right? How many of you have ever not given way? All right. It's a tough thing to do, right? And your mom and dad try to instruct you and say, you just need to give her the, the deal and you need to give up the thing and, and it's, it's his turn to do that and it's her turn to do this now and you need to help with this now. And what do we do? Oh, hate it. Hate it. When our boys were little, we don't make them do this anymore because it's embarrassing even at home. But when they did, decided not to give way to each other, this is when they were little, maybe three, four, five, six years old, they had to hug each other. And it made them as angry as any human beings have ever been. I cannot even imagine the fireworks that would be caused at this point in their lives if they had to hug each other. Now, one of them would actually enjoy it. The one who's smiling right now. Because he, he just loves to rub things in. But the other one, the one who just spoke up here about righteousness and godliness and all the wonderful things, he would be thinking of murderous thoughts um, if he had to hug his brother. And if they had to hug their sister, oh my goodness, it would get even worse. And, and yet, this is the thought God wants us to think of. When you least feel like hugging that person, loving that person, giving way to that person... That's when you're supposed to do it. That's what this passage is talking about. And so it's not a passage that you're going to enjoy, but I'm smiling when I say this. All right, so submitting one to another. Now, here, here's what we say next. We don't submit because we feel like submitting. We submit out of our reverence to our God. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're in a relationship... You don't submit because you feel like it with the other person. You submit because of the end of the verse. Look at the verse again. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So out of reverence to my God, I'm going to give way on this. Out of reverence to my God, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. Verse that we had to learn when we were kids. And that my mom made us quote all the time. And we would quote it, you know, not with the best attitude. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And sometimes we would even say it with more disdain. 
Nothing shall offend them. As we were highly offended, nothing shall offend them. You know what that verse is saying? If you're a child of God, if Jesus Christ is living through you, there's nothing anybody can do to offend you in a relationship. Now, those are big words. You're like, that pastor, that's not practical. There's no way I can live in relationships on this earth without ever getting offended because people offend me. Have you ever heard your kids say, he made me hit him? Like, what do you, he made you hit him? How? Because he annoyed me. It doesn't make any sense in God's world. And yet that's how we live out our relationships. And you may be thinking, Pastor, the only way that I could survive that verse is if I shave my head and live on top of a mountain. If I never have to be around people, I can live out that verse. You know, here's the thing. We do live around people. And God wants us to live in a certain way. And so in reverence to him, we submit. Not because we feel like it. So, so often we're sold this bill of goods by the world that love is this feeling. And all the songs talk about um, feeling. If you're from the 50s, love is a many a splendid thing. It's the April rose that only grows in the early spring, or however it goes. And uh, you go into the 60s and dooby-dooby-doo, I love you, you know. And um, in the 70s, you got all these love songs and all these things, and feeling, feeling, feeling. And yet God never has love be a feeling. Now, there are emotions involved in it, but God's love is just an unconditional commitment. God's love is to say, there's nothing you can do that will make me act unchristlike. Now, now that's where we're going to get at the end of the message tonight. And I hope you'll stick around with me. So let's talk about this. What does submitting to each other look like? How does it look like to us in a practical way? And to see that, we're going to go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And some of you probably know this chapter by heart. Some of you have probably um, written these verses, or you have a plaque on your wall with these verses, or you have a centerpiece on your table with these verses. And can I tell you that knowing these verses and actually living them are way different things. This is what submitting to each other in the fear of God actually looks like. And we're going to break down every phrase of this over these next 10 or 12 minutes. And I I hope you'll um, fill in the blanks and really think this through. Go back through these notes this week and process what this means. We all struggle with this. And uh, we all... Um, have thoughts that we shouldn't have and we have reactions we shouldn't have and we fail to submit and give way in things. And uh, what God teaches us is no matter who it is, no matter where it is, here's how you should act. What the world teaches us is if she doesn't please you or he doesn't please you, just trade out. Just get somebody new that pleases you. Could I tell you that the somebody new won't please you for very long? Because human beings, we all have problems. I don't like that friend. I'm going to get a new friend. I don't like that friend. I'm going to get a new friend. 
Did you ever think that maybe the problem is you? And maybe you're the problem. And, and, and what God wants us to see in this passage is, I am the problem. I am the problem in every relationship. That's what this passage is about. When we look at it, we're going to see God pointing to every one of us and saying, you are the problem in the relationship. Because our first instinct in any relationship is to do the blame game. It's to look at the other person and say, if you weren't this way, I wouldn't be this way. If you weren't so annoying, I wouldn't have to pop you in the mouth. Right? That's our first instinct. It's a natural fleshly instinct. And yet, here's what God says. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. Now, the Bible word is long-suffering. Here's what it means. It's in your notes. Slow to anger or passion. Slow to anger or passion. Now, there are different types of anger that we have in our lives. Some people on the anger meter can go from 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Like a Ferrari. And they've got Ferrari anger. Some people have the Ford Pinto anger, right? It takes them hours to get up to 60 miles per hour, but when they get there, knives will be thrown. Watch out. The end of the world is coming if that person ever gets mad. There are people in this room that you only get mad like once every three years, but no one wants to be there when you do. It is a disaster area. And what God's teaching us, no matter what type of anger you have, he wants us to be long-suffering because that's how he is. Now, you'll notice every one of these traits is God's love. It's not a natural, intuitive, fleshly love. It's God's love. Slow to anger or passion. Next one. And is kind. It's kind. It is good-natured. It is tender and, I know all you men will love this one, it is affectionate. Now, all the women are cheering inside right now. Men, men, I don't know if you know this, but the number one need, generally, of ladies is affection. Now, men, that's generally not their number one need. Right? In fact, that's way down on the list. Usually. Just generally speaking. Men, affection is just, they're like, take it or leave it, don't really need it most of the time. Um, but ladies need affection. And, and yet men, this same kindness turns around, and guess what men need? They need admiration. They need to be admired. Now they have physical needs too, but they need to be admired. It's a big deal for them. They need respect. And uh, we're going to get into how in this passage it, it details and covers this. Now once again, these work for all of your relationships. So Kind is good-natured, tender, affectionate. Next one, charity envieth not. Here's what this actually means. Charity is not jealous of another person's happiness. Have you ever walked into a room in your fleshly nature and seen somebody happy and think, what are you smiling for? Oh, what is it that's got you all happy? Right? 
especially in relationships, you can get like this. If you're living in a combustible relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a sibling rivalry or whether it's a parent-child, and you walk into that room and you think, I don't get it. Why are you happy? You don't deserve to be happy. I'm not happy. How dare you be happy? And what we do is we base the happiness measure all on me, on me, on me. You can't be happy unless I am happy, right? And if I'm happy, then that's okay for you to be happy as long as you don't pass me. And so that's what this is talking about in this passage. Charity envieth not, not jealous of another's happiness. Charity vaunteth not itself. It does not desire to be noticed or applauded. Does not desire to be noticed and applauded. Now, I know that many people, your personality is, you don't want to be noticed. You don't want anybody to applaud you. You don't want anybody to know your name. If I asked you to come up here and speak right now, you would choose death instead. You, you don't want that. Um, but this is talking about your inner desires. Because see, a lot of times when we do things in relationships, we do it to be noticed. We do it because we want the other person to notice us, right? And, and God's trying to teach us that, listen, you don't do it to be noticed. You do it because of charity. You do it out of love. You don't do it to vaunt yourself to the front. So charity vaunteth not itself. Here's another one. Is not puffed up. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time there because we talked about being puffed up this morning. But let's remind you of what it means. Not inflated with a sense of self-importance. Not puffed up. See, when your love is only based on what you need and what you want and what you desire, and it's all about me, 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 you get into a type of love that is not God's love at all. God's love is not egotistical. It's not narcissistic. It is a giving love. And, and so it is not puffed up. Verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Here's what it means. Does not behave in an inappropriate manner. Does not behave in an inappropriate manner. Um, it's decent. It knows the situation. It knows the setting. It knows the time. It knows the place when to do things. And a charity is, is just decent. It's not unseemly. Another one. Charity seeketh not her own. Okay, now this is not just what we talked about earlier about being puffed up, but there's an extra part of this definition. Here, listen to what it is. Does not seek its own happiness to the injury of others does not seek its own happiness to the injury of others. See, true love, biblical love, God's love, does not say, listen, I will be happy whatever it takes, even if it hurts you, even if it costs you, even if it runs over you, I'm going to be happy. Now, we live in an entitlement society, folks, that is humanistically teaching the opposite of this. Where people are growing up under this relationship and under this thought process 
that it doesn't matter if I run over you, I'm going to be happy. It doesn't matter if I have to climb over your body to get to the top of the ladder, I'm getting there. And we see this in the workforce, and we even see this in the home, where kids want the $399 toy, even though that's all mom and dad make in a week. But I don't care. I want it. I want it. And because mom and dad want to please, they go all out, and they sometimes do things they shouldn't do financially to get that young person that toy or that thing, and then the kid just runs over them again and again and again. And, and we see it in our society where people don't understand real relationship love. The meaning of what God wants in our relationships. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Now this isn't just about long-suffering. This is not easily provoked. Here's what it means. It's not often irritated Sour or bitter? Have you ever heard this phrase in your own mind? That's just my personality. Don't attack me for my personality. That's just the way I am. That's the way my grandpa was, and that's the way my daddy was, and that's the way I am. And God says, get rid of your excuses. This is how my love looks. Say, Pastor, how do you know those excuses so well? Because that's how my grandpa was. That's how my dad was. And if I'm not careful, I sometimes have a sour demeanor. Not on stage at church, but sometimes my wife thinks that I'm in a bad mood. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. She's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. What are you talking about? Why are you looking like that? Why are you doing that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? And if we're not careful, we can't see certain faults in ourselves. This is one of them. We can't see this one in the mirror. You can't see greed in the mirror. You can't. I've never had one person ever in all my years of being a pastor who's walked in and said, Pastor, I've got a big problem in my life. I'm greedy. They always say, I'm careful or I save, or they say all these different things, but they don't say I'm greedy. It's a fault you can't see in yourself. And this is one, being irritable. Now, can I give you a hint on this one? If you went home tonight and did a survey with all the people in your relationships, you would, and they were honest, you would find out where you measure up on this scale. If you walked to people in all your relationships and said, hey, am I ever sour? Am I ever irritable? Do I ever act nasty to you? Am I ever mean to you? You would find out the truth. Um, but, as we're going to see in a minute, you're not supposed to do that to other people. Point out their faults like that. This goes both ways. It's a two-edged sword. It's coming back on you in a minute. All right, so we keep going. Um, so it's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. That's the very next one thinketh no evil. Here's what it means. Does not search out faults or assume impure motives in others. I know why you did that. You did that to get back at me for that. No, I did it because I was trying to be nice to you. 
I thought you would like steak and eggs for breakfast. I thought you would like flowers as you came in the door tonight. You just did that because of what you did that last time. Now, this is assuming motives. And you know what? We easily do it, but God's love doesn't do it. God's love thinketh no evil. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't live in reality, but it means it doesn't search out faults. You know, in our natural flesh relationships, you know what we do? The very first thing in our relationships, we try to figure out what the faults are of the people around us so that we can evaluate how good we actually are compared to those people. Now, we naturally do it in our minds and our hearts, but God's love doesn't do it. God's love does not search out faults. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, has no delight when others are guilty of a crime or fall into sin, has no delight when others fall into a crime or are guilty of sin, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Did you ever have your brother or sister get in trouble and you laughed? Do you ever have that crass, rude individual at work who got called on the carpet and you sent a rejoicing email to the whole team? That's not what we're supposed to do. The Bible says that God wants us not to rejoice in iniquity. In fact, it's supposed to break our heart if we're really living in his love. And so this is a huge high list to measure up to but God put it in here for a very good reason. And Paul even started the chapter by saying, hey, I could be gifted, I could be rich, I could have wonderful things, but if I don't have God's love, I am nothing. Sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And there's a lot of people with the name Christian over their heads that are sounding brass and tinkling cymbal because they don't live the right way in relationships. They don't have charity, God's love, in their relationships. And we all need this. Rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Here's what it means. It rejoices in the virtues, not the vices of others. Now, you say, this is a little Pollyannish. Pollyanna. Pollyanna-ish. Remember how she always wanted to see the good in others? So that's how God is. God wants to see the good in you. And God wants us to see the good in each other. But so often we get a critical spirit and we get a critical nature. And the first thing we look for is the negative in each other. God wants us to look for the virtues in other people. Look at verse 7. Beareth all things. Beareth all things. Here's what it means. It conceals everything that ought to be concealed. Beareth all things. It concealeth all things that ought to be concealed. You know, there are some things that can't be concealed. And there are some things that ought not to be concealed. But God says when we have His love and we have the right spirit, and we have the right attitude, that it covers a multitude of sins. Here's what it means. 
I could have a relationship with Brother Hang. And I could find out in our relationship, one-on-one or through our, our talking, of something in his life that's not good. You know what? If I'm fleshly about it, I can go back to Brother Dewey and say, Hey, Brother Dewey, you're a good Christian, and I know you pray. And would you pray for Brother Hain? Because this is going on in his life. You know what I just did? I just totally fouled up the scriptures. If I found something in our relationship, you know who I bring that to? To God. Unless there, there are certain things in the scriptures, obviously, that need to go past us. But beareth all things means if he told me in confidence, I keep it confidential. I bear it between him and God. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2 If we did that more in Christianity, we wouldn't have nearly as many problems in the local church and in the family. But so often, even in our own family, we throw each other under the bus and instead of bearing all things. Now, like I said, there are some things where you have to get further help and you need further guidance and you can talk to your pastor or you can talk to people who you trust. I'm not saying don't do that. That's what we're there for. What I'm saying is there are things that sometimes we, we go to another person and in a marriage especially and you go to another woman in the church and you say, my husband is just mean-spirited. My husband is rude to me all the time. And a, or a, a husband hanging out with another guy. My wife, she does this and she does that. Listen to me. That's not honorable, folks. Now, there are things, obviously, that need attention. If a dear lady's being abused physically, that needs attention. There are some good, godly, strong men who will show up at that door. I promise you. They may bring baseball bats. They'll do the right thing. But there are things that we go outside of our relationships and we dishonor each other. And God says, I want you to bear all things. Conceal the things that ought to be concealed. Believeth all things. Ready to believe the best of another person. I'm ready to believe the best of you. Now, that's what God wants us to have. And yet, our flesh immediately jumps on thinking the worst of another person. If we're not careful. So God gives us instructions on this. Ready to believe the best in another person. Here's another one. Hopeth all things. Hopeth all things. I like that one. Here's what it means. Will not judge negative attributes of others unless compelled to do so. If it comes down to where you're really hurting yourself or you're hurting somebody else and we have to deal with a situation, then let's bring it to the table. But until that point, I just don't want to judge the negative attributes in somebody else. In fact, I won't do it. Do you know who can best handle the negative attributes of somebody else? God. But so often, he's the last one we take it to. And I'm being serious. The last one we take negative attributes to is God. He's the first one we should take it to. You know why? Because he knows the in-depth DNA and heart of the person involved. He knows how to fix the problem. But we try to manage it on our own, and that's 
not charity. Another one. Endureth all things. Endureth all things. Means bears up under the persecution at the hands of any person. Charity beareth all things. You say, Pastor, you've never been in my situation. I haven't. I don't pretend that I have. But I do know this. If God says that his love beareth all things, then his love beareth all things. That's all we can go with. Is what, in fact, the very next phrase is, charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. That's a huge statement because when we look at it, we say, whoa, hold up. I've been on earth for a while. I've had some relationships. I've known some people. It has failed. No, your relationship may have failed, but it wasn't because of God's love. It was because it was the opposite of God's love. See, relationships fail when they don't fit the bill. When they don't match up with 1 Corinthians 13, that's when they fail. But God's love, His perfect love, has never failed. Not one time, not ever. Charity never faileth. Here's what it means. Sin may cause it to wax cold, but it continues through God's grace. If you really have God's love for another person, sin in your life or their life may cause that love to wax cold. But God can restore that relationship. God can restore that relationship. Now, here's what happens in our society. We buy into what society sells us. And we say, if this ever happens in a relationship, you get out and you're done and don't ever go back. And yet, you read 1 Corinthians 13 again, and God's instructions are a little bit different to us, aren't they? And, and so we have to weigh this passage heavily. We have to take this passage in. And you know, if you're in a relationship, I would just urge you, if you're in any relationship, with a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a parent or a grandparent, any relationship where you're struggling, I just go back to this. And look through 1 Corinthians 13, and here's your thought process in this. Don't say, I wonder where the other person in the relationship is not keeping 1 Corinthians 13. You know what you ought to say? God, show me where I'm not keeping 1 Corinthians 13. Show me where my love is not your love. Do you know what will happen? He will show you. Say, Pastor, I'm not the problem. Really. You don't know my husband, you don't know my wife. I am not the problem. Okay. But I dare you to do what I just said. Take 1 Corinthians 13 out for a spin and say, God, show me where I can grow in your love. Did you know that as you grow in God's love, it will affect the other person in the relationship? God's love works. God's word works. And yet so often we set God's word aside and we pick up good housekeeping or I don't know what gives marriage advice. Oprah's off the air or Dr. Phil or whoever. Um, and we... We pick up the advice of other people, even other Christians who are well-meaning, who we think have our back and they're all for us. 
But guess what? They're not giving you God's advice. They're giving you human advice. And we need to go back to God's word and say, God, you show me. This is your love. How am I not loving the way I should love? You know, I've seen it time and again where God begins to work in that relationship. Because we've lived for so long thinking he's the problem, she's the problem, they're the problem. You know what God shows us? You can grow, you can grow, you can grow. And as we can grow, we forgive more and we love more and we care more and we don't see their faults. And God works in mighty ways. His love is never failing. Philippians 2, let's read it quickly. I just want to read you these two passages. I won't even talk about what they mean. These are just great follow-up passages as we close. Philippians 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Two verses. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit, give in, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, we could all stand a good dose of humility to the point where God might have you tonight after we dismiss on your way home with a loved one or at the house or on the phone or in an email to get with your loved one and say, or somebody in relationship and say, I don't know how I've let you down in the relationship, but I'm going to find out. I realize that I'm at least part of the problem. And, and you know, the reality is we so buy into it's his fault, it's her fault, it's their fault, and we totally miss what God's saying to us here. Here's what God's saying. If you think you're not the problem in a relationship, Please read 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 again. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so our thinking is, it's her, it's him, it's them. And God's thinking is, give way. Submit. Not because you feel like it, because you love me. Because you have reverence for me. But so God has a plan for us. In his word. Father, thank you that we can.